This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, I'm Matt Shorty. This is the Red Box podcast featuring the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. A bumper show today. I went to the pub, uh, all in the course of uh, journalistic interrogation, obviously. Uh, Rishi Sunak launched his Eat Out to Help Out initiative. So I went to a pub about 500 yards from the office to meet Giles Cohen to discuss how the restaurants and pubs of Britain are coping during the uh, pandemic. Uh, I also spoke to Harry Shearer from Spinal Tap and The Simpsons about what he would do if he ruled the world. Andrew Jimson, the biographer and historian and writer on how Donald Trump fits into the great pantheon of US presidents. Uh, but we also had a really interesting conversation about cities. Are our city centres dying? And how do we get people to go back into them in the future? Right, where are you right now? And where would you normally be were it not for you-know-what? Are you at home when you would normally be in a town or city centre? When do you expect to rejoin the rat race? Or might you never go back? That's what's worrying the leaders of some of our biggest cities and, of course, the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson's been urging workers to return to offices from today, helping boost economic activity in towns and cities. But his hopes could well be in vain. Uh, There's a survey in the Daily Mail today of Britain's 30 largest firms. It finds only 17% of office-based staff will be heading back to the workplace today. So where does all of this leave the UK's city centres, particularly as fears of a second wave start to take hold? Are we about to witness the death of the city centre and of the high street? Well, to discuss, we've got four city leaders to pick over what all this might mean and what the, our city centres might look like in the future. Uh, I'm joined by Rachel Robethon, the Conservative leader of Westminster City Council. Morning, Rachel. Okay. Good morning. Ah, good morning. There you are, Rachel. Excellent. I was going to say, you're, you're the, geographically the nearest, so in theory we should be able to hear you most clearly. Uh, Keith Aspden is the Liberal Democrat leader of City of York Council. Morning, Keith. Good, good morning. Uh, Susan Aitken, the Scottish National Party leader of Glasgow City Council. Morning, Susan. Morning. And uh, the Labour Mayor of Leicester City Council, Sir Peter Salisbury. Morning, Peter. Good morning. So I suppose um, what I'd like to do is ask each of you, really, in turn, first of all, what, what, what would it be like if I came to your city centre right now and how different is it to how it would have looked, you know, maybe this time last year? Let's start with you, Rachel. What's Westminster looking like right now? 
Um, well, it's certainly busier than it has been over the last few months, but it's clearly not where we were before this happened. You have to bear in mind that Westminster is a city with a quarter of a million residents. But uh, before this, we would have every day a million extra people who come into Westminster to work or to, to as tourists uh, to enjoy the nighttime economy. So we're well off that. So although things have picked up a little bit, Clearly, as you mentioned in your introduction, without offices going back up to uh, up to normal, we're a long way uh, below where we would normally be. I mean, for example, in the West End, uh, the the statistics show that we're we're running at about a quarter of normal footfall, so significantly lower than normal. Quarter, quarter. I mean, that is a huge job. Keith, let's head to York. What's York looking like this morning? Similarly, not not quite as busy it used to be. In that we were a city that would have. 8 million uh, visitors a year and a lot of international uh, tourists, but it is getting busier. Um, I was out and about at the weekend in one of our new pop-up spaces near York Minster, uh, and it was absolutely great to see residents and visitors beginning to come back. And in particular, I'm keen to make sure that they get out and support local and independent businesses that in particular um, have struggled. Um, But there is definitely going to be work to do, particularly over coming months, to, to make sure that support goes to the right places so we still have thriving city centres. Uh, Susan, what's Glasgow like this morning? Because obviously a slightly different set of rules about what can and can't open in Scotland and in England. So what, what's, what, what would it be like uh, if I was in Glasgow this morning? Um, it is getting busier. People are, are coming back to the city centre, there's no question. But yes, I think um, it's important to see that in Scotland the message is still work at home if you can, uh, which I am doing. Um, and I won't be going back into um, the city chambers or uh, equivalent of the town hall until we're clear that it's safe to do so. Um, I, I really want to see people back in the city centre. Uh, I really want to see city centre thrive again, but not at the expense of public health. And I can tell you that Glasgow is a city that, um, you know, we have a history and an understanding of what the impact on an economy can be of early mortality, of long-term chronic illness. That's not something that any local authority wants to have to be dealing with. So we are being a bit more cautious in Scotland. Um, and that's that's an approach that I support. And then to Leicester, which has obviously been on the, the, the front line of a, of a crackdown on a, on a local lockdown, uh, if you like. Peter Salisbury, what's, what's it like in Leicester right now? Well, of course, uh, we're uh, a month behind the rest of England. And uh, for us, it's uh, a fairly quiet morning. Um, and... Uh, I'm hoping soon it'll uh, be building up again. But uh, I think it's worth uh, just remembering that uh, cities have always been uh, subject to change. Uh, City centres were changing. uh, And perhaps uh, what we've seen as a result of COVID is perhaps an acceleration of that change. But uh, it does mean that uh, the challenge to us all of uh, making sure that uh, they have a viable future is uh, perhaps uh, accelerated. But uh, I think, uh, you know, they, uh, they have a very bright future. What, what do you mean? What sort of changes do you think have been accelerated? How are our cities changing and how do you think they'll change in the future? Well, I mean, certainly um, it's no longer the case that uh, city centres uh, can just uh, depend on retail as the, uh, as the only thing that, uh, that makes them viable. I know all of our, 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 our four cities have uh, got uh, much more than that, but I think uh, we do recognise that people living in the, in the city centre, people working in the city centre, uh, and uh, people coming for a nighttime economy in the, in the city centre are uh, all important parts of, uh, of our future as, uh, as the pattern of retailing changes. 
And Rachel Wobethon in Westminster, there's also been a lot of talk of uh, shops, uh, big shops being turned into uh, homes. You know, John Lewis, I think, is talking about um, converting some of its former stores into affordable housing. There's also, you know, there's a huge, and I I can see them from looking out the window, there's a huge amount of uh, sort of shiny glass office buildings in London, which are, you know, mostly empty right now. Is it possible that having seen lots of people on on modest incomes being squeezed out of city centres, is it possible that they they end up coming back and that actually city centres become places where people live again rather than just shiny office blocks and and big shops? Well, I think think, um, it's very important that, that cities are places that people can live anyway. And that's why certainly in Westminster, which as you rightly say, you know, obviously looking out of my window, uh, yes, you can see a lot of offices, but you can also see a lot of housing. And we've got a very um, big affordable housing programme to to ensure that people of all incomes are able to live here. Um, And I think that's an absolute vital thing for all of us because otherwise our our city centres just won't have the vibrancy and the life and the mix that that we need them to have they can't just be offices or um or retail areas you know they need to have the mix so we have to do everything to make sure that 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 people can afford to to live in our city centres and and of course you know that will as we go forward there may be there may well be a a shift in the way people work as a result of this Uh, we we can't see exactly yet how that's going to settle but I think it will certainly um, mean that that there will be some more working from home and that will have an effect in terms of you know the fact that we will be able to some of the office capacity uh, can be converted into into affordable into housing but it obviously will also have an impact on our on our other businesses on our hospitality you know in Westminster we've got 3,700 licensed premises that's a huge amount of hospitality industry which which relies on you know, people, tourists and and office workers coming in as well as the residents. So that's a, it's a significant issue. And obviously theatres uh, are such a big part of um, what goes on in central London. How how devastating is it that they are they remain closed and could remain closed and actually many, many of those theatres may not open again? It's really devastating. I had um, a call with all of our leading cultural institutions last week, um, including all the theatres, the museums, the galleries. As you say, this is a huge part of um, of Westminster's economy and and basically what makes the city so special. And clearly it's a huge um, draw for so many people, bringing them into into Westminster, which then uh, obviously spills out onto into the cafes and restaurants and other and other um, areas of the economy so this has been a really devastating time for the for the cultural institutions and clearly they need some certainty around social distancing before they're able to open they also what's also very important is for those that are able to reopen they need to have more uh, people need to have more confidence back using public transport to come into the centre of the city. You know, public transport is safe. People, yes, they're wearing masks, which is absolutely right, um, but they need to have the confidence to know they can use public transport to come back into the city centre, to go to our museums, to go to our galleries, to go to the theatres that are able to to reopen and and support those. Uh, So I think it's really important. Uh, Susan in Glasgow, there's obviously a real tension going on here, isn't there? Because we want to see, we don't want to see the economy, you, you know, uh, in trouble for for months and months on end. Uh, and so you want to encourage the confidence for people to go back to spend their money to support those businesses. But then there's also a risk, isn't there, on the sort of the health front, and uh, you don't want to encourage some of the large gatherings that then spark concern about um, uh, outbreaks. 
Yeah, absolutely. We we do need to get the balance right here and to, to go up, um, steadily and carefully. So one of the reasons, for example, that gyms haven't yet opened in Scotland and, and some other premises that have already opened in England is our schools go back from next week. Um, and that's, that's a huge priority um, right across the nation. We really want to see the schools get back and get back successfully and safely. And that, of course, then supports people going back to work. But we want to see what impact the schools going back has. Let's take that step first, get that right. And if we don't see an impact in terms of an increased number of cases, um, you know, if, if we're able to manage any clusters that might pop up, which we have been able to do in Scotland, the contact tracing seems to have been working very well where the odd cluster has popped up. Then we can take the next step and say, right, OK, what do we start opening up next? Um, it, you know, gyms and other things that at the moment aren't yet open. Um, but if we, I think, you know, we'll be able to open them sooner if we actually go a little bit more slowly and a little bit more steadily um, and making sure that we don't do everything at once with that then potential health, health impact. But that will then grow people's confidence as well. And essentially what we need, you know, Glasgow has... Um, a lot of international visitors, a growing number of international visitors, but my focus right now is our own citizens. It's the people of Glasgow, our own residents. I need them to, to have the confidence to be able to live in the city again. That's not just the city centre. We're a, a real city of neighbourhoods. We've got a lot of really um, thriving local high streets as well, which in many ways can potentially benefit if people are staying more close to home. Um, and I think we've we've seen some, we don't have hard and fast figures, but anecdotally, we've seen some of those local high streets benefit. So in return, and, and I think Peter was right, we were all rethinking city centres anyway. Um, mm. We all knew that retail wasn't go, was not going to go back to the way it used to be, um, and that saving the high street, if it means you know, trying to recreate the high streets of 10, 15 years ago wasn't ever really going to be a successful enterprise. What we need to do is rethink those city centres faster and, and deliver it faster. So it is about residential, it is about city centre living and the vibrancy that that brings about repurposing premises. It's about public realm. In Glasgow, it's very much about reducing traffic um, and the amount of, of space given over to cars, increasing the space given over to people, again, to make them feel more confident so that they can socially distance, but also just to make the city centre feel safer and more family friendly and a healthier place for people to be um, and targeted business support to help other kinds of businesses um, and, and for us in Glasgow those are fair work businesses and, and um, social enterprises for example maybe move into some of those premises that have been left behind by um, by other businesses that, that haven't survived the, this, this period. So we kind of, it, it's not reinventing the wheel. I think a lot of city authorities know what we need to do already. Our challenge is to really now accelerate that and get motoring um, so that we, we don't have our city centres having a sense of going into decline and then having to pull them back up again. We want to have some continuity and, and a quick return. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at LutonRising.org.uk. Uh, literally, just while we were talking, then Nicholas Sturgeon's been tweeting in response to, in fact, some Stephen Flynn, uh, his MP in uh, Aberdeen, some photos of people, uh, quite large groups of people gathering um, over the weekend, enjoying the, the city centre nightlife, I think it's fair to say. But uh, Nicholas Sturgeon's saying COVID remains a real and present threat to our health and well-being. Scenes like these are dangerous and could easily result in pubs being closed again, which no one wants. We all have a responsibility here. Please, please, everybody, is it keep the hide? Is that how I pronounce it properly? This new this new slogan that Nicola Sturgeon is using in Scotland. Keep the heat. Keep the heat. Hey. Which is basically stay heat. calm, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> stay calm, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's all. It's the Scottish version of um, keep calm and carry on. I suppose keep the heat. Keep um, it. <laughs> yeah, and and what she says is absolutely right. You know, there does appear to have been a cluster. Um, connected to a pub in Aberdeen, um, and and not just Aberdeen. I'm not picking on that one. Others um, in in the greater Glasgow, the kind of metropolitan area, one in Glasgow as well. I think the worst thing is, and it, this goes back to the pace, opening things up and then having to shut them back down again isn't. That's the worst kind of thing that can happen. It'd be better to wait a wee bit longer and then open things up, and they can open up safely and successfully, and and give people that confidence. Um, and and we have that sense of momentum um, of easing out of lockdown rather than fits and starts. Having said that, we're all dealing with something um, that is enormously challenging here, and, um, and and we may well have to take some backward steps at some point. Um, but the message to to people to to behave themselves and follow the rules and and keep the heat no matter where you are in the United Kingdom is really important. Uh- Peter Salisbury in uh, Leicester, you're also on the front line of the sort of one step forwards, two steps back approach. And the uh, how how is that going down in Leicester? To, to are people in Leicester looking at the rest of the country and thinking, oh, you know, it's a bit unfair. Or are they, you know, are they worried about what's what's going on in, in the city? I think they were worried and, uh, and a bit cross because uh, I think uh, the uh, rather more targeted approach is now being done example in the in the northwest of England is uh, something that would have been better had it been applied to Leicester from the start but you know we're, we're, we're looking forward and we look forward with confidence but I just want to come back really to what Susan was saying there because obviously I've seen uh, what they've been doing in Glasgow before the uh, 
you know, the, the, the lockdown in terms of uh, creating uh, quality public space uh, and particularly uh, reclaiming some of that space from the, uh, from the motor car, uh, reclaiming it for people who are walking and cycling. We don't in Glasgow, we're doing it here in Leicester. And uh, I think, uh, you know, making our, uh, our city centres uh, civilised places uh, where people can be relaxed and can move around and uh, and don't need to be dodging the cars all the time um, is certainly something where uh, you know we've got uh, still work to do and we're doing it beforehand and I think are uh, wanting to do it now. I was looking, for example, at a uh, picture just yesterday, actually, Keith, of, of York, uh, and uh, somebody was saying uh, it was showing a pedestrianised street, and uh, and and the the joke was uh, you know taking out the car that killed the city centre. Well, actually, it obviously had because uh, you know York looked beautiful in the sunshine with so many so many people. People walking about it freely and uh, you know and, and, and feeling confident and, and comfortable in the in the historic city and uh, you know I think uh, there are lessons there for all of us that uh, actually uh, you know actually investing in the public space uh, in our cities is, is vitally important to uh, to ensure their longer-term viability. Is that your experience Keith with the, with the, with the by taking the cars off the road has improved with the town centre. I declare this I've got I have to have an interest in this because the town where I live they've just voted last week to shut the to pedestrianise the the town centre temporarily, they say, is you know to try and give people more space uh, right now with social distancing. But lots of people think it might become permanent. So has it proved a good thing in York, Keith? And for me, it's really important to get that balance right. So in, in York, we've got one of the largest pedestrianised zones in yeah. in Europe as it stands, uh, and obviously we're looking um, at, for opportunities to to improve that and increase it to give people confidence as they're in and around the city centre but equally looking at how we can support those uh, to park outside of the, the inner ring road um, and to walk and cycling in communities and across York. It was Yorkshire Day on Saturday, um, and we used that as an opportunity to launch quite a few of the, the city's major attractions like Yorvik and Clifford's Tower. Um, but alongside that, a key worker celebration week, and it's all about trying to gradually build confidence safely uh, for people to, to return um, in families and, and primarily local residents from, from York and all of our surrounding towns and villages. And we've launched as part of that a tourism recovery plan um, with a, an initial £100,000 budget primarily to, to get people back feeling safe and confident and, and absolutely walking, cycling, pedestrianised space, uh, pop-up pop spaces, hand sanitizer is all part of that effort that I, I know we'll be doing across our, our towns and cities across the UK. So that all, that all bodes well. Of course, it's all going to be right in York because York's going to be majorly boosted by the House of Lords coming, isn't it? <laughs> stop, stop laughing. Who's that laughing? Of course, this is an idea that's been floated by Downing Street. How, how realistic do you think this is, Keith? I thought it was great that the Prime Minister said he was committed to a, a government hub in York. And we've got a big development site called York Central. Uh, it's got planning permission. We've got a £155 million infrastructure budget uh, together. Um, whether it's a government hub, the House of Lords or the House of Commons or a government department, it's all good in terms of bringing skills and higher paid jobs to, to York and the North. And I'm a big advocate of decentralisation of, of government away, sorry, from, from Westminster and London to elsewhere in the country. Has anyone from the government actually spoken to you about bringing the House of Lords to York? So the, the Cabinet Office have had quite a lot of conversations at official to official level um, as to whether the site is viable for, for a relocated parliament hub or, or government department. So I'm really keen that something is going to happen. They just haven't yet finally decided what.
Well, you're going to need more space now, now that Ian Botham and uh, Joe, uh, Boris Johnson's brother are also uh, in the House of Lords. Um, just finally, then, the last f- uh, five minutes or so that we've got, what do you think cities look like in the next five years? How radically different? You know, it sounds like, um, you know, progress was being made on changing cities, but, you know, the coronavirus might have accelerated it. What will city centres look like uh, in the next five years? I'll ask it each of you. Uh, let's start with you, Rachel, in Westminster. Well, what I would hope that they'll look like, and I think this is this is a theme that's coming across um, across all of us, is that they will have we will be able to grasp this legacy of um, improved air quality, reducing traffic on our, our roads, and improve the flexibility and the the ability for people to walk and cycle around our cities and make them much better places to live. We know, you know, in Westminster, and I'm sure it's the same in all of these other cities, that air quality is is one of the top issues um, of our residents. And I think what this has given us is a really clear um, opportunity to to capitalise on that and really push much harder and faster. So, So as well as, you know, I hope in five years' time you'll come to Westminster and it'll be a thriving, wonderful city where people are living, but I hope you'll find also that our air quality is much better and that people can move around much more easily in the city. Fantastic. Uh, Susan in Glasgow, how, uh, in five years, in, in, in 30 seconds or so, how, how different will Glasgow look in five years' time? Um, less traffic, uh, more people living, working and doing all the things that they want to do in their life in a much smaller space. Um, this idea of the compact city, of being able to do everything you need without having to take long journeys, without having to do a long commute, um, of, of people being able to do everything that they want and access public services within that easily accessible, reachable space, um, which will be healthier for everyone. Um, I think healthier is probably one of the strongest things that needs to come out of this and an economy that promotes public health and is centred around public health and understanding that that is essential to a thriving economy and the physical infrastructure and physical space needs to support that. That's all quite optimistic as well. Uh, Keith, in, in York, what will York look like in five years? I would say that, that York's a city that has reinvented itself over centuries, and I'm, I'm very optimistic that we'll do exactly that uh, again. For, for me, the phrase build back better is, is important, um, and really that's about inclusive growth and clean growth. So getting the, the right type of jobs, skills, and a new way of living to, to make sure that we have thriving places into the future. And just finally then, uh, Peter Salisbury, uh, Mayor in Leicester. What will Leicester, I mean, we obviously hope that Leicester gets out of its current uh, problems uh, quickly as well, but what will Leicester look like in five years, do you think? I think people will still be shopping here. Uh, I think they'll still be uh, working here, but I think the balance will shift. Uh, I think it'll shift to uh, more people uh, being there to to live, more people being in the city centre to enjoy uh, the vibrancy of uh, of being in a real uh, city centre and i think uh, the challenge to us i think is to uh, is to is is to, is to manage that change and to and to make sure that our city centres uh, continue to be uh, places people want to come to for a variety of different reasons uh, but they want to come to because they're quality places they're places that are civilized and uh, that are uh, good to visit and uh, they uh, you know they you know the whole uh, basis of, uh, of 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 cities is uh, is is to be civilized places and uh, i think that uh, we have got a challenge but uh, i think with all of our cities we've got an enormous opportunity as well 
That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.